Welcome to the Locust Valley Chapel Sermon Podcast. Our mission as a church is to help you discover, develop, and demonstrate life with Jesus. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, locustvalleychapel.org. We pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you and minister to you in a powerful way as you listen to Sunday's message. you want to turn to Acts chapter 6. We're up to chapter 6. We're working through the book of Acts one chapter a week. It probably feels like we're going quick. At least it feels like we're going quick to me. And we obviously can't cover everything in every chapter, but we're asking God to really just show us what he wants to say to us. So Acts chapter 6, I'm going to start in verse 1. We read, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters... Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedom, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia, yeah, you see it, Cilicia and Asia. (laughs) I'm getting old, my eyes, you know, I'll just look at the bigger words on there. Who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. I want to talk today about living in the tension between limiting and unlimiting. Living in the tension between limiting and unlimiting, and it might feel like I'm I'm trying to see how many made-up words I can get into sermon titles. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I used the word filledness, right? Today, I'm using the word unlimiting. Again, not a a word. This one, I didn't make up myself. This one, I got from a title of the book uh, by Richard Blackaby called Unlimiting God. It's all about removing our self-imposed limits that keep us from increasing our capacity to, to, to experience God and his power. It's a great book. Picked it up at a yard sale. It's 25 cents. It's worth its weight in gold to me. Uh, listen to a couple quotes from this book before we get into this. This is some of the things that he wrote. Here, we've become too easily satisfied with spiritual mediocrity. Some of us 
have become so used to a powerless life that we've come to think of it as normal for the Christian. It's not. That's good. That's challenging stuff. Here's another. If you're satisfied with your current spiritual situation, you're setting the boundaries of what you'll experience of him. If you believe you're incapable of knowing God more intimately or serving him more powerfully, you're choosing to plateau spiritually. Man, that one will sit with you for a while. And as we work through Acts chapter 6, I think one of the things God is doing, really through the entire book, really, I hope anyway, is he's inviting us to, to sort of unlimit him, like remove the limitations of what we believe God can do in us and through us. And at the same time, I, this is where the tension comes in, I think he's inviting us to see that we are not God. We are human beings. We're created in God's image, but human beings have limitations. And hopefully, before our time is finished, we'll see that these limitations, when they're from God, I'm not talking about limitations, the excuses that we make, those are, those are different, but limitations, when they're from God, they're actually gifts for us to be embraced, and limitations can actually lead to greater freedom. So there's this tension between limiting and unlimiting, and I think if we could learn to live in that tension, we could find that place where we flourish. So let's talk first of all about limiting, and when I talk about limiting, I'm talking about limiting our, ourselves, sort of. Acts chapter 6, verse 2, these 12 say, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. So in verse 1, we, we learned about a problem the church was facing. Number of disciples was increasing. The actual Greek word used there, it literally means multiplying. So they weren't just growing by adding. They were, they were, they were growing by uh, multiplication. Disciples were making disciples who made disciples who made disciples. And so there's all these people in the midst of this growth some of the uh, Hellenistic, that's a big word, the people that spoke Greek, there were converts to Judaism that spoke Greek, and they, they uh, came from Greek culture. Sometimes they were displaced from Jerusalem and out in these other places. They were, they were Jewish, but they were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the people that they cared deeply about were falling through the cracks. Now, there, there's no indication from the passage that this is a, a, a intentional it seems to be an administrative problem. It doesn't seem like they have the right people in the right places. So the 12 gathered the disciples together in verse 2, and they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Why would they say it would not be right? It wasn't that they thought they were too good to wait on tables or that serving was beneath them. I mean, these are the same guys who fed crowds of people with the loaves and the fishes that Jesus multiplied. And it wasn't that the ministry of the word was more important than feeding widows. Both were an important part of proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God. Those two go in hand in hand, word and deed. They, 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 you don't separate, they're together. That's how the kingdom of God advances. And so when they say it would not be right for us, I think what they're doing is they're embracing their God-given limitations. They understood that in their humanness, they could not do everything. Some of you guys need to hear this. 
In your humanness, you cannot do everything. I know we're taught from a young age that we can do anything. We can't. And they should not be doing everything, nor should we be doing everything. He said, it would not be right. That's not the way the body of Christ works. Romans chapter 12, verses 5 and 6 says that in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And then look what it says. We have different gifts. Not, this, not all the same. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So it's likely that the 12 did not have the gifts required to oversee this distribution of food to a growing number of disciples who are widows. Instead of getting mad about that, or instead of like burning themselves out in it, they just realize that's a limitation to be embraced. We have different gifts. Look where those gifts says, it says in verse 6, according to the grace given to each of us. See, if we try to add to our plate a need that we have not received the grace needed or the gift needed to meet that need, a couple things will happen. First, we'll probably get tired. Because if God hasn't given us that gift, if he hasn't given us that grace to meet that need, then we're probably working in our strength and not the Holy Spirit's strength. Which means we, we're going to get tired, we might even burn out. There might even be a possibility that we'll grow resentful or disillusioned with serving others. And second, we run the risk of neglecting to serve in the area that God has given us gifts for. That's why they say it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word. Like, that's where God had clearly gifted them. We've seen the fruit as we've worked through this book. They didn't want to neglect that in order to do something that they're probably not gifted in. Now, does that mean that we never have to do anything outside of our gifting? Of course not. We, there's times where we, like, I've helped a ton of people move from different homes to different homes in my life. I don't think I have the gift of moving people, right? But and I don't even think I have the gift, the Holy Spirit-given gift of serving, but sometimes we go outside of that. That's not what we're talking about. But I'm just saying they're, they're probably looking to stay in the limits of the way that God has gifted them. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, in a chapter of his book, The Emotionally Healthy Church, he's got this chapter entitled, Receive the Gift of Limits. And in it, he writes this. He writes, emotionally healthy people understand the limits God has given them. They joyfully receive the one, two, seven, or ten talents God has so graciously distributed. As a result, listen to this, they are not frenzied or covetous trying to live a life God never intended. They are marked by contentment and joy. Don't you want to be marked by contentment and joy? Don't, don't you want that to be said? Like, that's, that comes by embracing the limitations, God-given limitations. I mean, think about how out of whack life gets when we try to live beyond these limits that God gives us. Let's go back to the very beginning for a minute. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2, right? God places Adam in the garden to work and care for it. And in verses 16 and 17, God says, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. 
Now, to say that Adam and Eve weren't given a tremendous amount of freedom would just be false. Like, God gave them a huge amount of freedom. Like, they were free to eat from any tree in the garden. He only gave them one limitation at this point. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And and how many, can you see the gift in that? Do you see the gift in that verse? What happens if they push past that limit? Death, right? So that limit wasn't there to hold them back. It was to help them flourish. It was to help them live. And what does the serpent do in Genesis chapter 3? He tries to get Adam and Eve to resent the limit and go beyond the limit. Listen to it. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what the serpent says. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden. Do you see what he did there? The first thing he did is he distorted the limit. He distorted it. The limit was put there so that they experienced life. What's he trying to do? He's trying to make it look like they, that God has squashed it or made it smaller. He's trying to make the limit look larger than it really was. The limit was not that they couldn't eat any tree in the garden. The limit was one. So he's trying to get them to resent that limit. Isn't that what we see today? Man, I don't want to go off on tangents, but we can go in all sorts of directions on the limits that we're trying to push in our world today and go beyond what God set out. The woman corrects him, thankfully, verses 2 and 3. She says, well, wait a minute. We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. Now, notice what she just did. She just added another limit to what God had said, didn't she? Because God said you must not eat it. What does she do? She added to that. That's a self-imposed limit. Now, I'm not saying that touching it would have been a good idea either. Probably should have just stayed away from it. I get that. But she added that. She added a second limitation, a self-imposed limit, and those don't lead to freedom. We'll we'll come back to that later, but keep going. Verse 4, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's he doing? He is inviting them to live beyond the limits of what God created them to be. He's, he's sowing this doubt into their mind. I would call the doubt the not enough doubt. He's trying to get them to think, it's not enough to receive the gift of being who God made you to be. It's not enough to, to live within the limits that God put in you. It's not enough to, to be a human being created in God's likeness to reflect his beauty and his glory and all of his attributes and his love. But no, what you really need to do is push past those limits and become God's yourself. Then you'll really find satisfaction. And man, if you take this a step further, isn't that what we're doing whenever we sin? Aren't we essentially going beyond the limits of what God says is good for us? Aren't we taking part in that which brings death? Come on, guys, a lot of you guys know this. Romans 6, 23, who knows it? The wages of sin is what? Death. Right? Same thing God told Adam all the way back in Genesis chapter 2. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
So when we sin, we are pushing beyond the limits of life with Jesus, which is a gift that's eternal, it lasts, it satisfies, in order to go after something we think will save us, something we think will be set, bring us satisfaction in the moment. But it never, it never pans out. It never delivers on its promise. I mean, Adam and Eve take the bait, and what does it bring? Does it bring life? No. It brings death. It sends them spiraling into shame and drives them into fear and hiding. Do you want to live there? That's not life. That's not freedom. Now, the good news is God doesn't leave them there hiding. He pursues them. He goes and finds them. He provides a sacrifice for their sin. Same thing he does for us with Jesus. But I wanted to go back there just to remind us that the devil's always inviting us to go beyond our God-given limitations. He's always pushing us to go beyond our limits. I think that's what he's actually, I think he's sort of behind this in Acts chapter 6. Behind it. Because he's, I think he was trying, he was trying to get the, the 12 to go beyond their limits. Why? Because if he can get them to go beyond their limits, what are they going to do? They're going to neglect the ministry of the Word of God. And what's he been trying to do since Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came? trying to stop the ministry of the word of God, trying to keep this thing from spreading. Think about the challenges the church has faced so far in the book of Acts. Every time there's growth, they hit challenges, don't they? Right, they face, they, this guy gets miraculously healed in chapter three, and in chapter three and four, where they get the persecution. Peter and John get arrested. We're gonna stop this thing from spreading, the leaders say. Last week, Acts chapter five, what do we fit? Corruption, hypocrisy, and then more persecution. So there's all these challenges as the church grows. John Stott, in his commentary on Acts 6, he writes, the devil's next attack was the cleverest of the three. Having failed to overcome the church by either persecution, that was Acts chapter 4, or corruption, that was Acts chapter 5, he now tried distraction. In other words, he tried to preoccupy the apostles with work that was needed, work that was important, but work that was beyond the limits of their calling and their gifting. So let me give you just a quick list of some of the, I think, healthy limitations that God gives us as gifts. And this isn't exhaustive. Some of these we're going to see in Acts chapter 6. Some are just general limitations of human beings. You could add tons more to this list. We're just going to like hit a few of the big ones. And by the way, these are no particular order. But one of the limits that we have is we are limited by our spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit that we have been given. Look, we touched on this already a little bit already, but 1 Corinthians 12, it lists this number of spiritual gifts. It talks about wisdom and knowledge and faith and miraculous powers, prophecy, discernment, tongues, interpretation. In verse 11, it says, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one then get that last part, just as he determines. Just as he decides. We don't decide. He decides. So on the one hand, right, this verse is telling us that the Holy Spirit empowers us to go beyond our human limitations in one sense because he's enabling us to use gifts that we could not use if, we didn't, if he didn't give them to us. He gives us the, the power to use us. But in, in another sense, we are obviously limited to the gifts that he's determined to give us. I can't operate outside of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives me. It doesn't mean he'll never use us beyond the gifts that we've already received. We'll talk about that when we get to the unlimiting part. But guys, there's freedom in not having to be anyone that God hasn't created you to be or do anything 
that the Holy Spirit has not empowered you and gifted you to do. So our gifts are limiting. God's calling is a, is a limiting factor in our life that we need to just embrace. And it's kind of, this one's kind of closely related to giftedness. But just like every follower of Jesus has gifts from the Holy Spirit, but everyone's gift is different, every follower of Jesus is called, but everyone's calling looks a little bit different. So sometimes we get this idea that only pastors or missionaries or people who work in the church or people that what we would describe as like full-time ministry are called. The truth is, the moment we become a follower of Christ, we become a full-time minister. We are all called to doing full-time ministry. No matter where you are or what you're doing, you're never not called. Jesus put it this way in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And he said, you will be my witnesses. Calling has to do with who we are. Mark Laberton uh, from Fuller Seminary puts it like this. He says, calling isn't just a category for those who pursue some form of recognized ministry. It's about God's desire for all of our lives as ambassadors of God's kingdom. That is our primary call. So yeah, in one sense, we're all called to the same thing. We're called to be witnesses, called to be ambassadors of God's kingdom. But in another sense, that call limits us because it's going to look different for each one of us. Like, take Peter and John, for example. Jesus, in John chapter 21, he was telling, Jesus, telling Peter about his calling to, to feed Jesus' sheep. He was calling John to feed sheep too, but they were called to feed these sheep a little bit differently. He tells, he tells Peter, he says, when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and someone else is going to dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And verse 20 says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. So Peter's calling was going to lead to a different place than John's would. You read the New Testament, John ends up exiled on the island of Patmos. Peter, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but historically, we know this from, from outside sources, that, that he was probably crucified upside down for his faith. Stretch out your hands, take you where you don't want to go. So on the one hand, they had the same calling, but on the other hand, they, were, they ended up in radically different places. So when Jesus is telling about this, Peter looks at John in verse 21 and says, Lord, what about him? How come I got to die for the faith? But what about him? Is he, is he going to do that? And you know what Jesus says? If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Do you hear the freedom in that? We don't have to be concerned about how other, you know, what other people's calling it. We just have to be, what, what's ours? He says, you must follow me. We follow Jesus wherever he takes us. So we're, we're limited by our particular calling. In Acts chapter 6, the 12 had a strong conviction that to wait on tables would be going beyond the limits of their calling and their gifting, which was primarily the ministry of the word. Let's talk about a third one, our personality and our relational capacity. God created us all differently with different personalities, Right? In the one sense, there's no two people that are the same. But if you look at it like from a big picture, like God created some of us by nature, the way God created us, some of us are more what we would call introverted. You know, we, we, we like to be, maybe enjoy a little bit more being by ourselves or we get like overloaded when we're around a lot of people. Others are more extroverted. One's not better than the other, right? It's just different. 
So we're given different personalities, and, and man, thank goodness. I think that helps temper us, right? If we were all extroverted, we'd wait too much, you know, we'd probably get really, really tired, and if we were all introverted, we'd never go outside, but, um, but we are, we're all different, and the difference is good. Community, it's all good. We, we all have a relational capacity. I mean, they've studied this scientifically. There is a limited number of people that we can know really, really well, and if we try to go beyond that, we're not gonna, probably not going to get to know anybody really well. So those are limitations. Season of life. Right? We're in different seasons of life. Let me say this. A healthy church needs people in all stages of life. Like, we don't just need more young people. We need young people. We need young, middle-aged people. We need old people. We need all of it. Every stage of life has some sort of limitations, doesn't it? Every stage. Some of you guys are students. Some of you guys are in high school, middle school. Some of you are in college. Those seasons have different limitations. In fact, they probably feel really limiting to you in a lot of ways. You probably feel like, man, if I, I just don't have the experience to do you know, what I'd like to do. Or they, that, that seems like a limitation. It's, it's a gift if you see it in that way. Some of you have young children. It's a limitation. I remember when our kids were born, you know, I, I love our kids, I love, it's a great stage, but man, when they were little, I remember thinking, this is going to sound so trivial, but I remember one time talking to Michelle, I'm thinking, you know, one of the things that I miss, like, we used to be able to, like, at 10, 11 o'clock at night, we could just go out to the 24-hour diner if we wanted to and get a piece of pie, right? You can't do that when you've got little kids, like, you're limited. Some of you have adolescents, and man, you feel like an Uber driver, bringing them from place to place and place until they get their license, some of you guys are empty nesters. Some of you guys are, are, are retired from your occupation. Some of you guys are taking care of aging parents. Some of you guys are the aging parents, right? My point is in every, every season of life have certain limitations. Our bodies, as we get older, become limited in different ways. Right? Those aren't things to necessarily run away from. They're things to just embrace. Time. Time's a limiting factor for everybody, right? No one gets more and no one gets less. We all get 24 hours a day, 168 hours a week. Season of life obviously plays a role here. But listen, time is something we can't get any more of. There's a documentary on, on Bill Gates, one of the wealthiest people in the world on Netflix. I haven't watched it. I've heard it's way too long and way too many episodes. But I read a quote from it where somebody said, time is the one commodity that Bill Gates cannot buy more of. It's a limited resource. It's finite. He's got the same 24 hours a day that the rest of us have. So he may have his billions of dollars, but he's limited by time, just like everybody. That's why Ephesians 5.16 encourages us to make the most of our time. Some translations say to redeem the time because the days are evil. Listen, there's... That's just five limitations. There are a lot of other limitations that we could talk about that we don't have time to. I and mean, we could talk about our socioeconomic backgrounds. We could talk about our family of origin being a limited factor in our lives. We could talk about our life experiences and our levels of woundedness and pain that we're carrying around. We could talk about the places that we live. We could go on and on. The point is this. When we stop seeing these God-given limitations as something that we need to push through in order to be satisfied, and we start seeing them as a gift, there is freedom to be found. How do I know that? We see it in Jesus. He's our guide. He's our model. 
Jesus, in human form, while on earth, embraced his limitations. Philippians 2.6 says that Jesus, who was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, Jesus could have pushed beyond his limitations when he was on earth. He could have grasped at his godness, that he was in very nature God. Instead, he took the nature of a servant, and he embraced those limitations so that he can show us how we can do it. So when he got tired, what did he do? He rested. When he got hungry, what did he do? He stopped and he ate. And when people wanted to push him beyond the boundaries of his calling, he was able to say no without being controlled by the need to please everyone. Think about it. Luke chapter 4. After healing Peter's mother-in-law, Jesus spends all night healing people and driving out demons. Verse 42 says, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. They didn't want him to go. There were more needs. There were more people that needed to be healed. There was more demons to drive out. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. Why? Because that is why I was sent. Do you see the freedom in knowing who you are and knowing who you're not? These people, like Jesus, stay. There's still more needs. But Jesus felt free to live with his human while on earth limitations. He doesn't feel any kind of false guilt. He doesn't feel false shame. He doesn't get tricked into feeling that that we often get tricked into feeling for for not trying to please everybody. He doesn't seem to care if everybody's going to like him or not if he doesn't do what they want him to do. And get this, when he gets to the end of his life on earth in this human body, in John chapter 17, 4, he says this to his heavenly father. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Did Jesus meet everybody's expectations? No. Life's not about meeting other people's expectations. It's about finishing the work the Father sent him to do. Guys, listen up. You are not going to be held responsible for finishing work that God has not given you to finish. You're not going to be held responsible for finishing work that God hasn't given you to finish. You're only responsible for the work that God has given you to do. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God, not other human beings, that God prepared for us to do. Don't be held captive by what other people want you to do. Be, be totally sold out to what God has for you to do. God has a script for your life, and your script has limits. So run the race marked out for you, not the race marked out for anyone else. That's why in Acts chapter 12, verse 6, uh, chapter, I'm sorry, Act, the 12 in Acts chapter 6, in verse 3, say, Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. In other words, hey, let's identify the people who have this work on their script that God's given them. See, God already had people picked out for this work. By the way, they weren't choosing people. They were identifying the people that God had in mind. 
And look what happens when they lean into their limitations instead of pushing beyond them. They find other people who this is their, their thing to do. And look what happens, verse 7. So the word of God spread. Why? Because the 12 didn't go beyond their limits of something they weren't called to do. Instead, they focused on what God had gifted them to do. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I wonder how much God could accomplish in us and through us if we would stop trying to be people that we're not, embrace the limitations of who he made us to be, and let him do what he does best instead of trying to do his job for him. While at the same time, unlimiting what God does want to do. Here comes attention. We've got to, go, got to go here too. Like if we want to flourish, again, I, Christians, man, we are so either or. We are so, we are pendulum swingers. We are so one side or the other. And you know, we're just, but this is a tension. It's not an easy tension, but it's a tension. On the, on the one hand, if we want to flourish, on the one hand, we have these limitations from God that are gifts to be embraced. We only have to be who God made us to be. But on the other hand, we need to be really, 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 really careful that we do not let these limitations from God that are gifts become limitations that we place on God and what God can do through us. So listen again to verse 8. Verse 8 says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. See that? God wasn't limited to performing signs and wonders through the apostles. He wasn't limited to performing signs and wonders through the 12. He used people like Stephen, one of the seven, who was given the responsibility for overseeing the ministry of the food for the widows. And yet, Stephen doesn't let the limitation of his calling to the ministry of food limit how God might want to work through him in other ways. So do you see the tension? Would have been easy for Stephen to get in that box and just say, well, I can't do any signs and wonders. I can't do any. I'm just, I'm just overseeing the food ministry. That's my lane. That's my gift. That's my box. Be careful. There's tension there. We don't want the God-given limitations that are a gift to become limitations on what God can do. So while we're limiting ourselves, we, we also have to be unlimiting God. Ephesians 3.20, what does it say? Now to him who is, what's that word? Able. Who's able? God. Right? What's he able to do? Immeasurably what? Say the rest of this out loud with me. He's able to do more than all we ask or imagine. How? According to his power. Where's that power at work? Within us. Within us. So we, we see this tension throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture, where, 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 where God works through people who, who recognize their limitations and think, how could God work through this? Right, Romans 4.19 tells us that Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. What was that? That's a season of life limitation, right? One that we should embrace, one that we should celebrate as a gift. That you don't, If you're in that season of life, if you're almost 100 years old, you don't want to feel any pressure to go out there and start a family. <laughs> but But the... Here's the tension. At the same time, here's what verse 20 says. Yet he did not waver through unbelief. 
being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And so despite all the human limitations, Abraham became the father of many nations. Moses, remember Moses said he couldn't speak well enough to lead the people of Egypt. He wasn't saying something that wasn't true. It was a real limitation. If God hasn't given you the gift of speaking in front of people, you don't have to try to speak in front of people, but don't let it limit you to what God might want to do. So God says, who gave human beings their mouth? I will help you speak. I'll teach you what to say. Gideon, Gideon comes to God. He says, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Very real limitations. What does God say? I will be with you. I'll strike down your enemies. So, so we don't want the, the freedom that we're experiencing and living within our God-given limitations ever limit God from what he might want to do. We've, we've got to like, almost like hold it like, a, like in one hand we hold it tight. That this, is, this is who I am. This is who God made me. I'm not going to push beyond this. But the other hand we leave open to say, God, but whatever you want to do, I'm open to that. I'm not going to push for it. When Abraham tried to push, it got him in trouble. When he lets God do it his way, it happens. Same with Moses, same with Gideon, same with all of it. We don't push beyond the limits, but boy, do we have to be open to God moving us beyond those limitations. And so I believe that Acts chapter 6 is inviting us to live in this tension. And let me wrap this up, just four quick observations. How do we live in the tension? Number one, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Or a better way to put it, after I made the notes for this, I thought a better way to put it would be to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. According to verse 3, they were looking to identify people who were known to be full of the Spirit. And verse 5 describes Stephen as a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. If you want to go deeper, this was what week four, we talked about the fruit of filledness. You can go back to our website or our podcast and listen to that. It's not a formula. It's just asking God, God, fill me with your spirit. Just do it every day, multiple times a day. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. If I'm going to walk in that tension, I need the Holy Spirit. Can't do it on my own. Number two, be full of wisdom. Once again, verse 3 says they were looking for men who were full of wisdom. And again, no formula for this. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So we need to ask. Verse 6 says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. So again, come to God daily in faith and say, God, God, fill us with the wisdom. God, this is a tension here. It's not easy. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the the wisdom filling us to, to live in this tension between when am I pushing past my limits and when am I just being open to what God wants to do? It's not a science. It's a relationship. Number three, stay connected in community. We're back there. Stay connected in community. How did I get on the screen there a minute ago? That was, that was interesting. <laughs> Listen, the 12, the 12 did not send one of them up to the mountain to figure out how to live in this tension they were facing. And then have them come back on and say, here's how to do it. No, no. What did they do? They gathered the disciples together. They identified seven men together who were known 
to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. How can you be known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom if you're not known in community? How could you be known to be full of anything if you're not known in community? I don't think we could walk this tension between limiting and unlimiting apart from community. We need each other to help speak into our lives. Like we said last week, we need each other to help us see what we can't see on our own, to be what we can't be on our own, and be open to what God might want want to do in our lives. And then finally, most importantly, we have to keep learning how to live and dwell in the presence of God. We didn't read verses 9 to 15, but as God is doing these great wonders and signs through Stephen, opposition rises. uh, The religious leaders stand up just like they stand up against Peter and John. People start making up lies about Stephen. They try to sabotage him. We'll get into this more next week when we look at chapter 7. But listen to verse 15. All who are sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. That only happens when you're in the presence of God. You don't see that happen any other time in the Bible except for when you're in the presence of God. Remember Moses in the Old Testament? What would he do? He'd go into that tabernacle, go into that tent of meeting. He'd get in the presence of God. What happened when he came out? His face was glowing. It freaked people out. He had to put a veil over it until the, until the glory kind of settled down. That's what's happening to Stephen. His face is like the face of an angel because he learned to dwell in the presence of God. And if we want to be people who respond to this invitation to walk and the tension between limiting and unlimiting, we've got to be people of the presence. I know that sounds really, really simplistic, but Jesus wants to know you deeply. He wants to know us deeply. He wants to meet with us. So I want to invite you to stand this morning with me as we close. And I want to close by speaking some blessings over some of the limitations that we talked about. And then we're going to finish with a song. So God, help us to reflect on some of these God-given limitations that are actually gifts. And as we do, Lord, I just want to bless our identity in Christ. That in Christ, you are his child. You are deeply loved by your heavenly father. And I bless the spiritual gifts that he has given you. He has decided to give you those gifts for a reason. He has entrusted you with gifts. He has given you grace and power. And so we bless those gifts that we are given And we're okay with releasing the stuff that we don't have. And I want to bless God's calling on your life, that we're all called to be ambassadors. We're all called to be witnesses. But but Lord, I want to bless the individual callings that you have for each one of us. And I pray that nobody would leave here this morning and miss this. That each of you have a calling. God has a script in mind for your life that he has prepared works ahead of time for you to walk in. One translation says in Ephesians 2.10. And Lord, I want to bless the personality that you've given us. I want to bless those who are more introverted. Receive that as a gift. It's not a limitation. 
You can worship God. You can be fully used by God within who he's made you to be. And I want to bless those who are more extroverted by nature, Lord. That you've given them that particular personality. That it takes all sorts of people, all different kinds of people to reflect what a big God that we serve. And I want to bless the season of life that you're in right now. I want to bless you if you're a student. I want to bless you if you're a single person. I want to bless you if you're a married person. I want to bless you if you have young children. I want to bless you if you have adolescents. I want to bless you if you're an empty nester. I want to bless you if you're, if you're, if you're retired. I want to bless you if you're taking care of your aging parents right now. I want to bless you if you are the aging parents right now. We embrace the season of life that we have found ourselves in. And I want to bless your time and ask Holy Spirit for the wisdom to redeem it and make the most of it. And I want to release us, Lord, from the limits that we place on you, that at the same time that all those limitations are blessings to be received and we hold them tightly in one hand, Lord, I pray that we would release any limitations that we place on you. So, Lord, help us to do this. Embrace the limitations from God without placing any limitations on God. So we embrace what's from you, but we don't want to put anything on you. We want to release that. We want to be open to however you might want to use us and help us to live in that tension and be the people you've called us to be and do the work that you've invited us to do. Thank you for listening to the Locust Valley Chapel Sermon Podcast. We trust that the Holy Spirit spoke to you and ministered to you during this time. I want to invite you to join us for one of our weekend services. We worship God together on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. in Coopersburg, Pennsylvania. You can find more information at our website, locustvalleychapel.org, as well as our YouTube and Facebook page. Thank you for joining us.